Welcome to the Money Men Fortnightly Catch-Up. I'm Luke Stiles and I'm joined with Steve May. Good morning, Luke. How are you going? Good, good, mate. Um, it's 5th of November and there's a lot happening. There is a lot happening. Um, before we talk about what is happening, um, general advice only. Mm-hmm. So this is our general advice disclaimer. Do not um, take this as personal yep. advice suited to your own personal circumstances. Absolutely. We say that every time. Yep. Um, very good. What's happened in the past couple of weeks? Uh, well, you know, the, it's uh, pretty crazy. We've got the presidential election, US presidential election going on and, mm-hmm. you know, some contentious things happening there um, as we speak, which is very interesting. Um, obviously, COVID is still, you know, alive and present and it's a mm. very real, you know, health risk still. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, definitely... From an economic standpoint, you know, dif- different countries are doing, um, you know, differently. Um, yeah, yeah. Wh- where does Australia stand? I, th- I think we're we're doing okay, mm-hmm. um, considering the pandemic. But you know, that that's kind of my view. Um, yeah. Every every country is uh, seems to be uh, weathering the storm, weathering the storm, yeah. and um, you know, affected differently. Yeah. Um, and uh, and reacting economically differently, um, yep. but Australia seems to have got the, the virus pretty well under control at mm. this point. Um, at what cost to the economy, we'll we'll soon find yeah, out. Yeah, I, I think that'll materialise mm. over time. But um, yeah, we seem to be going okay. What have the markets been doing? The last well, couple of weeks? Australian market we are down uh, just under two percent for the fortnight. Okay. Been up and down like a yeah, yeah. It has, yeah. Yep, where we stand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you put a great point, uh, made a great point the other day. You could show uh, people where their portfolios and market is up, you know, 20% over mm-hmm. a certain period or down 20%. So it depends on what time period you grab yeah, or yeah. show different things. Yeah, I think the longer the time period, and we say this repeatedly, mm-hmm. um, the, the better and more stable it looks, doesn't it? It's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, US virtually flat. Mm-hmm. Um, over the fortnight. Yep. Okay. With again, lots of peaks Vol- and troughs. <laughs> lots of um, volatility. Yeah, you know, depending on what news comes out about what um, on on the hour. Yep. You know. Okay. What are we going to talk about today? Uh, we're going to cover a little bit on the U.S. election, um, just in terms of you know what does it mean for investment markets, a Trump mm-hmm. or Biden presidency. Um, then we're going to have a bit of a chat and discussion about asset classes. Yeah. What that means. The RBA's recent rate reduction and some of the implications there. So just sort of cover cover that. You've got a couple of notes on here around. Oh, we'll go to an ad break there, and then you've got a couple of notes around you know investing and investing for success. Yeah. Um, and some of the principles you can do there. What about uh, your 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 pet? Um, yeah. Thing at the moment around. Uh, ESG yeah, and another in, in business. Well, yeah. well, I believe there should be um, responsible governance, but mm-hmm. there's another um, mm-hmm. position from a large Australian bank around so, responsible governance. So, and so we're going to talk about that a bit later as yeah, well. Yeah, we'll, yep. we'll cover that mm-hmm. off at the end, and then we'll close off. Very good. Cool. Let's get... What was what was number one again? Uh, the US, US election. US election. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's underway, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> today's Thursday, um, so yesterday... For most of the afternoon, we're watching um, the argy bargy and uh, and whatever of the uh, U.S. political mm. system, and um, it was very interesting. Yep. Um, There's always uh, a lots of showmanship. There is, as, as it stands, it it appears that um, the Democrats and Joe Biden uh, are in pretty good position yep. to get the 270 electoral college seats that are required, mm-hmm. votes or whatever they're called. Yep. Um, but uh, Mr. Trump doesn't appear as though he's going to go down without a fight. <laughs> so, um, what do you, you know? What do you think um, the result will mean either way for yeah, the economy yeah. and business? 
look, it's an interesting one, Steve, because you know I I brought the point up just more recently, having conversations with clients, and they and they're saying, hey, you know, we think the market's going to go this way if Trump wins, or we think it's going to go this way if Biden wins, and and I often have to remind them. Um, Hey guys, the president is not going to dictate the long-term performance of the market. Um, as long as the United States remains a free market and a capitalist economy, it, you know, performance of share markets over the long term, uh, you know, not inexplicitly linked to who the president is that day. And mm. we can get a little bit lost there mm. um, because mm. some people are saying, hey, you know, Trump's really good for markets and Biden's going to destroy them. Well, you know what? They're both. They're both both pro free market they're both pro stimulating the economy and you know those things are going to trickle down and filter through yeah. into investment markets in yeah. the short term i think you know i don't think for a minute that um that biden and the democrats will um be not wanting to support business no. um yeah so yeah. That, you know that that will be there they, but, you they've know, got they, different view totally yeah. got different yeah. views and that may change you know short-term movements in you know business profitability absolutely mm. there's that potential but what does it mean over the long term? Oh, I'm not. I'm not convinced. You know, one or the other is going to destroy or dictate success. No. Um, the other thing to remember too around the, the the election and the presidential race is that it's not not just all about the president either. Um, you know, they're they're voting um, for um, representatives in the House of Reps, exactly, yep. uh, and also in the Senate. Yeah, yep. yeah, quite similar. Very similar to, to, to what us. happens in yep. Australia. So um, as it stands at the moment, listen, there's a long way to go in this, I, I know, mm. but it appears that um, you know, the state of flux there is that the Democrats um, will probably um, have power or the numbers in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. um, it's a close call at the moment, but at, you know, at the moment the Republicans hold the power or the balance in the Senate. Yep. And it seems as though that's going to play out in, you know, after, in this election. Mm. Um, that's probably not a bad thing. Is uh, is to have um, that check and balance there. So you've yep. got you've got one party able to sort of develop um, policy and get it to the yeah. to the Senate, to and, then, and then they've got the Senate that's there to provide a check and measure. Obviously, just like in Australia, lots of politics is played. That's what you know, that's what politics yep. is all about, isn't it? Yeah, politics. Um, yep. But um, yeah, so maybe not a whole lot is going to change in regard to the status quo there. Um, but who knows? If you know, if the Dem Democrats get uh, the numbers in both the House of Reps and the Senate, then sort of open slather for them, mm. isn't it? They can do what they like. But, yep. but as you said, as long as they continue to have the view that uh, America is uh, a capitalist free market, then um, yeah, businesses will continue to operate yeah. and, and make profits and thrive over yeah. the long term. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah. That's my view. So, you know, when when people are worried or getting worried about, you know, what a, this president means or that president means, mm -hmm. it's, it's background noise at the moment. And yeah. it's definitely background noise over the long term. Yeah, yeah. Very good. All right, we'll hear um, everyone will be so over the US election uh, <laughs> over the course of the next week that it won't be funny. So uh, anyway, we've got, in, we've got in first and had our yep. say. Good. All right, um, I thought that we might just talk about um, asset classes and uh, without getting too complicated and, uh, and detailed about it. Um, what we're talking about there is, is, you know, when people get their superannuation statements. Yep. And the superannuation statement usually has a pie uh, chart, a or, breakdown or of some a breakdown of how their money is invested yep. um, across various markets, 
Um, so generally, I just wanted to talk about um, understanding a little bit about what they are. So generally, those pie charts and graphs and things show Australian shares, international shares, bonds, property, and cash as being the main asset classes yeah. that um, the super fund or other investments will invest mm. into. Right. What exactly they invest into within those particular asset classes is another thing, but yep. let's talk about what those asset classes yeah, are. The so, asset class, yep. so you know, I guess it's fair to say that most Australians would be in sort of a balanced um, type investment mm-hmm. option within their superannuation fund. And what that means is that you know, roughly 70% of their um, superannuation is invested in shares yep. and growth assets, you know, shares and property. But they've all got a little bit in mm, each. A little yeah. bit in each, yeah. yeah. So typically, you know, Australian shares might represent, you know, 30% yeah. of, of that sort of type of portfolio. International shares, maybe 30. Mm-hmm. Property, maybe 10%. Yeah, um, and there's your 70. Et cetera, and, yeah. et cetera. Um, regardless of the percentages in your particular portfolio, what what are they? Yeah. Okay, so Australian shares um, seems seems to be fairly logical, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, having... Having money invested in the Australian share market, you know, just gives investors a way of participating, you know, in the future profits and the growth of companies. Yeah, Australia listed Australian companies. companies. Australia. Yeah, um, you know, Australian shares considered, you know, reasonably considered high risk, high return investments. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about risk, um, it's not the risk that you're going to lose all your money. Yeah. Um, you know, in the Australian share component, it's a risk that it'll be volatile. Yeah, it'll um, go up and down. Yeah, yeah, yep. and it can go down sometimes scarily mm-hmm. and can go up sometimes euphorically. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so you've got to be, yeah, in, in that portion of your portfolio, yeah. you've got to be prepared that there'll be volatility, yep. but the potential um, outcome of that volatility yep. is higher returns. And that's a great point because that sometimes the reference point on your super statement is, hey, this portion is in Australian shares and the, and the super fund might, you know, have a little note next to it, high risk. and. Mm. And you, you know, you're exactly right, Steve. That's in relation to the volatility of that asset class. Not so much, hey, you've you, you've put it in Australian shares and all your money's gone. It's the movement in the price and that can yeah. change very quickly. So I like to say, you know, when we talk about that risk conversation, you know, your money, that portion of your money's in Australian shares and it's described as being at risky. Mm-hmm. Um, but for it to disappear uh, and for you to lose all of that Australian share component. And pretty much every company in Australia would have to go broke. Yep. Right. That hasn't happened ever. No. Um, it's unlikely to happen. And and if it were to happen, you'd have more worries. Yeah, you'd be worried than about more than your Australian share yes. component in your super. Yep. You'd be worried about uh, foraging for where, food. where you're going to get your next food. <laughs> um, I guess the other thing about Australian shares, they're pretty tax effective. Yep. Um, and they provide uh, dividends as well as the, the long-term growth. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so there's income coming through there in, yeah, in the yeah. form of the dividend. Yeah. And for, yeah, for super funds, but particularly for non-super um, fund investments, um, you know, those companies' uh, dividends are generally quite tax effective in that the company's already paid the tax um, at the company rate on, on those dividends. Yep. And when they're passed through to the investor, um, the investor... Um, gets the benefit of that tax that's already been paid, yep. um, so they don't pay the full. Yeah, um, there's no double tax. tax. No yep. double taxing. Yeah. 
That's, which is very unique to is, the Australian yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, corporate structure. Yeah, and you may remember at the last uh, election, it was a big, um, yep. big thing that um, one of the parties was looking to um, remove yeah. franking credits and remove that tax advantage. Mm. Um, and it actually probably was a big part in uh, in that party not winning the election. <laughs> yeah. um, very good. So that's Australian shares. Yep. International shares. Um, well, they're not Australian shares, are they? Um, they're <laughs> they're um, yeah, investing offshore, offshore. Yeah. So you know, having investments in companies that are based in other countries yep. um, and exposed to different markets and yeah. different you know yeah. asset uh, companies within that asset class. That's right. Yeah. That gives diversification of, of the companies that are being invested in. Um, how much of the world share market does Australia represent? Two percent. Oh, you yeah. just read that well, off the notes. I've, yeah. I've read that. <laughs> yeah, but you knew that anyway. But, it, yeah. but, but it's an interesting mm. point, Steve, mm. because it's two percent from a market capitalisation point of view, but mm. it doesn't reflect revenue streams. So mm. where do some of the Australian companies earn their money? So it, it's a yeah. it's a figure in there that is often you know mm. quoted to say, hey, Australia is a very small proportion of you know share markets out there, and mm. and this is the potential justification to try and get some international exposure and yep. why you would get some international exposure. Yeah, and I guess to, um, you know, a point is that uh, a lot of um, fast-growing information technology and healthcare companies are based overseas. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're so just you're not really, you're not just not getting access to them in Australia. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay, uh, yeah, another portion in many portfolios is bonds, okay, so... Bonds are interesting, mm. okay, especially in... Uh, Bonds are interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> they're not interesting um, in that sense. <laughs> but they're interesting in that people understand them to be the actual instrument. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, bonds, you know, are issued generally by you know, federal, state governments, um, semi-government authorities, yep. um, you know, basically to raise capital yep. uh, for projects and, and things. So... Um, so basically, you're lending um, the, your money, your, your money to the um, the company or the government yep. um, to um, help them support yep. projects yep. and things. Right. And in, and in return, you you are receiving generally a fixed you know interest mm. payment or coupon yeah. on a semi regular basis yeah. to to compensate you for for loaning that money. Yeah. So provide some diversification and safety and uh, perhaps some enhanced returns without resorting to yep. investing in rubbish. Yeah, you know? I, I often break it down, you know, for just, you know, mum and dad investors out there, think of it like a term deposit, but just on a really big scale and done through companies and, and you know, governments. Yeah. Yeah, what happens? So that sounds really safe, doesn't it? It, it, it sounds really it, yeah. safe. And, uh, and, that's, and many people assume that within their super fund that um, basically the super fund's just going out and buying some bonds, yep. right? And um, getting the guaranteed return from the government. Far from the truth. Hmm. But what actually happens uh, <laughs> is that generally, because those bon bonds can be traded mm -hmm. uh, on a secondary market, yep. um, that's what actually tends to occur in the mm. bond portion of your portfolio is that um, the managers are trading those bonds and looking to profit from price fluctuations. Yep. So making a, a, you know, an educated guess on where they think things may or may not go and um, potentially increase the volatility on that underlying portfolio. Yeah, so what follows is that the um, volatility um, is there um, and sometimes it can be just as volatile as uh, the share market. 
Okay, if interest rates are, are moving um, quickly. quickly and rapidly in one direction or mm -hmm. another, or if they um, swing around unexpectedly mm -hmm. or something happens. So yep. just be aware that it's not not maybe as... Um, safe. Yeah, safe. Safe, maybe not the word, but not as volatile mm -hmm. uh, as people might expect. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's a, that's a really valid mm. point. Mm. Um, and, and that's the key component there is um, that... that you know, is being on-sold and potentially, you know, that bond is being traded on a mm. secondary market. So yeah, yeah. Um, just like companies are traded on a market. Oh, yeah, exactly right. Okay, another uh, asset class shown in the pie mm -hmm. uh, is property. Yep. All right, so property, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it is when, when you think about it, but it's not, it not probably the property that, you know, mm. everyone's reasonably familiar with. Yeah, so... So most um, managed funds or superannuation funds don't go out and buy houses. Yeah. Okay. Um, like they don't go and buy the house on the corner um, or the house um, on the other corner. Yep. Um, it's generally um, they're investing through um, you know, investment, real estate investment trusts. Yep. Um, and, you know, some of that is residential exposure. A lot of it has commercial mm -hmm. and industrial property exposure. Um, and... And you'll find that there's a mix of all um, yeah. across the, the portion of your pie that is invested in property. Um, so, you know, there can be exposure to direct commercial properties and office blocks and things like that. That's, you know, probably quite commonly seen in um, maybe uh, industry super funds yeah. Yeah, tend to do that. Um, but uh, basically, you're probably getting exposure to properties within those investments that so you would never be able to get exposure to as an individual. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Because yeah, all your, your money's pooled yeah. with all the other investors. Yep. And you've got scale to go scale, in and buy yeah. those buy those. So yeah. I think, you know, um, when you go to Westfield, that that's that's a proper typically a property investment mm -hmm. of a component of your super fund. Yep. Um, GPT, yeah. th those types of things. Yeah. So yeah. that those assets and those property assets are actually pooled with your investor money and and, and purchased. Yep. So, you know, again, that's just another piece of the pie. You've got Australian shares, international shares, bonds, mm -hmm. property, and then uh, one other major asset class is cash. Yeah. Um, boring old cash. Boring old cash. Um, far, usually far less volatile than, than the other asset classes. <laughs> so, you know, rates are moving around a lot at the moment, yep. down, downwards. Um, um, basically, you know, that's, cash is there for safety, I guess, and liquidity. Yeah. Um, but in the current environment, environment, you just don't expect that you're going to get any decent returns from no. from the cash component. C of cash the, is the your insurance policy. That is, um, yeah. You know, and and that's the thing. The cost of ownership is very low, low interest. But you know, the cost of not having it hmm. um, when things get turned upside down on you mm -hmm. is very high as well. Yep. So uh, there you go. I thought we'd just have a spend a little bit on that so that uh, people out there might get a little bit more of an understanding of what those pieces of the pie actually mean. And are you going to include links to some of these forms in the show notes, Steve? Uh, I can do that. Yep. Yeah. I hadn't planned to, but okay. now that you've suggested it, Good. That we're going to, we'll be doing they'll that. Be yeah, they'll be so there. So they'll yeah. talk about... You yep. know, the different asset classes. We've they just, will. I'll, we've prob just... I'll probably link to um, a group called Vanguard, um, yep. which is a, you know, an investment um, manager, fund yep. manager, yep. Um, that uh, provides a lot of good information around mm -hmm. these sorts of things. Yeah, perfect. Now, we were going to talk about the cash rate, um, but we've been going for nearly 20 minutes. All right. So why don't we have a break? Quick break. Then we'll uh, move into the rest of our show. Cool. Okay. See you in a second. 
at Steve May Financial Services, we know how daunting the idea of seeing a financial planner can be. Bearing your financial soul to a person you don't even know doesn't sound like fun, does it? That's why we believe in being approachable and being ourselves. Our mission is to provide uncomplicated, affordable and personalised financial advice to those who normally wouldn't get it. Contact us for a friendly, no-pressure consultation to get your financial stuff sorted. Steve May Financial Services www.stevemayfs.com.au Welcome back to The Money Men. G'day Luke. How are you Steve? Good. Did you have a good break? I did have a good break. <laughs> we always do, don't we? Yeah. Yep. We actually <laughs> talk a lot during the break. We do. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about the cash rate and uh, what happened uh, on Tuesday. Well, um, everyone would have been watching the big race, the mm-hmm. Melbourne Cup, yes. but, a bit, <laughs> but what happened about an hour before the Cup yeah. is the Reserve Bank Board decided to reduce the cash rate yeah. by 0.15%. Yeah. So pass on a reduction to the cash rate, which in turn, you know, hopefully should drive some stimulus to you know the, the money market inside the economy mm-hmm. and and what I mean by that um, you know very broadly they're passing on you know the banks and the lenders will pass on rate cuts to you the borrower um, in the hope that you know there's more discretionary expenditure money available you know you're more incentivized to borrow and you know invest and 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 purchase things on debt um, and debt I'll point out that has to be repaid at some point in time um, but I just wanted to raise the point, you know, it's a it's a reduction of 0.15%. So, sounds heavy hitting. So, it's a reduction from 0.25 mm-hmm. to 0.10. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. What difference does that make to you or me, Steve, or, you know, mum and dad investors out there or mum and dad mortgage holders out there or first home buyers? I, I don't know. I'm... I'm thinking that uh, what's the average home loan in Australia? Well, about 500k. About 500k, so 0.15%, you know, $750 a year, $750 a year. Yeah, thereabouts. So so 14 bucks a week, something like that. Okay. Tell me, would you be on the fence if you wanted to buy a house and your your ability to get in the market has now been made 750 bucks a year cheaper or 14 bucks a week cheaper, is that going to be you on the fence or you going in and buying a house? Yeah, well, you know, I'm me and everyone else is them. Um, so <laughs> you're trying to pin me down here. Yeah, sorry. Um, but, but, you know, $14 a week is $14 a week. Maybe um, for some people that would um, cause them to um, yeah. to do it. Yeah, I, I see your point entirely. As a, as, as a stimulus for housing, it's probably... Yeah, they haven't got they haven't got much of a lever to pull out. No, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they can't reduce yeah. rates by one percent at the moment <laughs> because um, that'd be that'd be unheard of. Yeah, um, but but is it is it possibly more around the sense of confidence that it gives people and businesses? Yeah, that, uh, yeah. With the commentary that went around that rate reduction was that. Um, Reserve Bank is basically saying that rates will remain low for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. um, into the short, medium term. Yep. Um, is it more that, that it's um, you know, signalling that you know, rates are going to remain low, that they want businesses to invest and yep. borrow, 
um, and that they can probably do so with some confidence. Confidence mm. that the rate will remain low for a mm. longer period of mm. time, and mm. they're not going to go and borrow for ten years, and all of a sudden the mm. rate the rate shoot up. Yeah, yeah, look, that's a really valid point. Um, I, I've I've got the counter view for me is you know it signifies. Um, that the economy is not doing that well, especially mm-hmm. when rates are that low and they've run out of ammunition. And my point is, you know, the difference between 750 bucks a week on a new mortgage and, you know, any other lending for that matter, because mm-hmm. the lower down you go down the ladder in terms mm-hmm. of personal loans, um, you know, cre- credit yeah. card to an extent. Yeah. Um, it's probably also probably more so um, in business loans, you know, so um, yeah. incentivising businesses. But yeah, as you said, um, 0.15% on a million dollar loan. It's 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 probably not going to be the, the make or the, break the leader that, that causes a <laughs> business to, to go and do something. Yeah, but it is the the rhetoric and the and the the wording around yeah. it is probably going to be more confidence building for businesses. I think. Yeah. Um, um, well, you and I will um, diverge there, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and have to and have to yeah. have two different opinions yeah. on it. I guess, I guess the other point too is that um, just because the Reserve Bank. Um, reduces its rate, mm. the rate mm. doesn't mean that the banks are going to pass it on. Absolutely right. Uh, so, yep. um, if the banks don't, yeah, listen, then our major banks are taking some pretty big um, cash here at the moment. They're mm. paying some massive fines, mm. um, lots of remediation, mm. um, and you know, are they going to feel um, the need to pass on a rate cut and, and reduce their margins mm. potentially? Um, well, we'll wait and see. Yeah, um, but. A few of them have signified that they will be passing it on in fixed rates only Mm -hmm. um, and not variable or investor lending. Yeah. You know, which, I mean, is that right or wrong? I I don't know. I can't make the call on it. Uh, As you you correctly pointed out, they are hemorrhaging a lot of losses. Yeah. um, And so they probably need to make a call on it. But... Anyway, that were just, you know, my, my parting thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the RBA's run out of a bit of ammunition and I think, you know, a 0.15% rate cut is again going to have the, the economic impact that you know, I think is in, intended. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Yep. Okay. All right, we could talk for hours about that, but we yep. won't. Um, <laughs> okay, I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of the principles for successful investing. And we've, you know, we talk generally and vaguely about these things in a lot of our episodes. Um, mm. But I thought, yeah, we may as well. And this is um, based on something I read again from um, Vanguard yep. um, the other day, uh, which I thought, yeah, it was, was pretty, pretty sound. Right, pretty, yeah. pretty sound. Um, they usually come up with pretty sound stuff. Yeah, so yeah, there's basically, I think, four major principles there to investing success. So um, so this is around the investment piece, you know, mm-hmm. investing in stuff. Um so the, the number one point that they make um, in their in their paper, and I'll, you know, based on your advice, Luke, I'll, I'll post the link to this paper oh, uh, on the show notes. Um, so we'll, you know, number one is create clear and appropriate investment goals. Okay, so so that boils down to what we've spoken about before. There's no why you're investing, you know, mm. and 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 what investment as a result might be suitable for yeah. you, you know. So not just shooting in the dark. Yeah. So you know if you. If your short-term investment aim is to you know, save some money for a deposit on a house, mm-hmm. don't go and put it all in international shares, because <laughs> right? that could fall by twenty percent just yeah. when you need it. Yeah. You know, um, so be clear and appropriate, and understand why you're investing, mm. um, and that will then lead you to what you should then invest in. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, what's another example of that? Um, you know, you, you want to save for that short-term, you know, investment, uh, house deposit. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you go out and um, borrow money and buy an investment property. Well, that's not probably going to do the job for you, is it? No. You know, the investment property is going to be there to help you out 20, 30 years 20, 30 years' time. Yeah. Not, not in a year. And, you know? and, and, you know, Murphy's Law, you know, people go and go and do that, Steve, and, mm. and they say they are buying, mm. intending to buy a house and what happens and, you know, you out there might be sitting back and going, hey, I saw my friend go and buy some shares or they did buy an investment property and they managed to sell it and cash in mm. and that's given them their, their deposit. Mm. Look, that is, they've gotten lucky, yep. um, you know, because as we've seen, there can be black swan events that can totally bring that crumbling down very, very quickly. So, yep. you know, although it can feel really counterintuitive to mm. see other people doing it around you, mm. um, sometimes you've got to be a bit more of a realist. And then to throw that around the other way, mm. um, if your you know, goal to in investing uh, is to um, accumulate money for your retirement mm -hmm. over a 30-year period, then maybe cash isn't the right option. Yeah. You know, don't put it all in the cash. Don't say you don't want to take any risk. You're just going to save it and you're going to save for yeah. your retirement and get... 1% or yep. half percent or 0% returns because they won't cut it. Yeah. Um, and, so. and, and holding, you know, mm. risk assets, mm. they progressively become less risky over time yeah. the longer you yeah. hold them. Yep. Okay, so that's number yep. one. Um, number two uh, that Vanguard have uh, mentioned uh, is develop a diversified strategy through asset allocation. Mm -hmm. Now, we spoke earlier in the episode about the asset classes mm -hmm. and, and what they're talking about here is... Um, uh, the allocation of those assets. Yeah, investing um, according to your needs um, in the various percentages in those asset classes. That yep. makes sense? Yeah. It didn't, didn't actually make sense, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it's picking those different assets that are going to make up your diversified portfolio to, yeah. to you know, achieve your investing success. And I think the key word in there was um, diversification or diversified. Yeah. Okay, so... Not all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. So that's a common phrase, isn't it? Yep. Um, and it's a pretty, pretty good one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we know that the Australian share market broadly, um, you know, mirrors what happens in the world, but yep. it isn't always the same. Yep. Um, so we know that property markets probably tend to uh, swing and, and perform a little bit differently to share markets. Mm -hmm. um, we know that cash is cash and uh, does what it does yep. and provides a safety net. Um, so, you know, develop a diversified strategy um, through your asset allocation. Yep. Right. Um, this is a really good one. Um, and coming from Vanguard, you would expect it mm -hmm. um, to be in there. Yep. Um, but minimise costs so that you keep more of your returns. And Steve says you expect it to come from Vanguard because they thrive themselves on reducing the cost of operation of their managed funds. Yes, they do. They do take pride in that. That's that's one of their core beliefs: is that um, you know investments should be low cost. Yep. Um, and how do they achieve that low cost? They 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 try to um, uh, be the market. Yeah. Um, and not try to outperform it or underperform yeah. it. Is that, is that yeah, right? it's yeah. exactly right, and it's broad. You know, hold a broad portion of the market. You mm. generally take an index approach. Yeah, um, we've talked about that in previous episodes, I think. Um, yeah, and that's how they pass on to minimise costs. But there's a lot of scale there as well that they can pass through. So if you're, you know, if you're investing in a 
Australian share fund that is actively managed and has a um, and the manager is taking one point two percent, as opposed to investing in an index style fund, Australian share fund that's that's uh, management fees are point two percent. There's a one percent differential there in, yeah. in fees, yeah. which means that the active manager has got to outperform the market by more than one percent. Yeah. And for the long term. Yeah, and, and, and history has shown that's been very difficult. And, mm. you know, you can actually say, Steve, that it, the cost of that active fund is ten, tenfold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. although, it, although it's just, it sounds, 1% sounds not like a big, you yeah. know, number necessarily. Um, it's tenfold yeah. the cost. Well, if both of those funds um, performed exactly the same before fees... Mm. Um, but then the, the 1% differential came out. I don't know the exact numbers, but the numbers have been done over 20-year periods, mm. uh, 20, 30-year periods, and it's a, actually a massive difference to your returns. Oh, it's, it's huge. Massive. Um, so, you know, look to minimise your costs and keep more of the returns in your pocket rather than someone else's. Yeah. And then uh, the last point that uh, Vanguard make, and I agree with, is maintain perspective and long-term discipline. Mm-hmm. So if you're investing for the long term, um, then you know, you're know you probably going to have some exposure to growth assets like shares and property. Yep. Now, as, as we've mentioned, what happens from time to time in share markets and property markets? They go up and down. They go up and down. <laughs> um, and human nature um, is that people will tend to worry and yep. panic when they go down. Yep. And potentially do the worst thing and, mm. and, and move asset class based on that panic. Yeah. And there have also been studies and, uh, and research done around the, the impact, negative impact of mm. actually doing that. Yeah. So taking money out um, when you feel that the time, uh, that it's too tough yep. and, and things aren't feeling good and then putting it back in when you feel that it's good. Okay, it's, um, it's actually the wrong way to do it. Yeah. But human nature will say, hey, yeah. Hey, my share share component is down by twenty five percent. I'm going to stem my losses yeah, and yeah. get it into cash. What if it goes down by twenty five percent next year, and then twenty five percent next year, and then twenty five yep. again? I've got virtually nothing. Yep. Um, we'll take it out. And then what does uh, what does human nature dictate that person will do? They won't get back in again until the share market is Starts humming going along. Up. Yep. Okay, so they've they'll take a loss and they'll miss a gain. Yeah. And they, that they, is not good for anyone's long-term no, portfolio. No, no, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. so it's totally important to keep away from those impulsive behaviours. Mm. And if you can't, you need to be coached. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know. Right. And that's where, you know, financial planners and financial coaches come into yeah, play. You know? and, um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I don't think that every everyone needs a financial but, planner. But I think those that have goals and have structures in place to achieve those goals, whether that was with the help of a financial planner or not, mm. Probably need someone to sound check in with and, and have a sounding board yeah. um, to prevent them from making those big mistakes. Yeah. And we'll, as you said, we'll link to this so we can um, yep. Yep. make sure that people are aware of it. Maintain perspective and long-term discipline. All right, enough on that. Um, now let's get on to um, <laughs> your pet at the moment, oh. which is um, yeah the industry and companies' movements towards um, ESG. What is ESG again? Environmental social governance. Okay. Yeah. Um, tell me why you want to talk about that today. Well, more recently, one of the larger, as I pointed out um, earlier in the show, one of the larger banks in Australia, um, and I will I will mention the name. It's ANZ. Um, have basically come out and said 
that they're going to stop lending to carbon-producing customers, um, especially if more than 10% of their earnings come from carbon-negative assets. So Mm -hmm. what does that really mean? Um, It's probably pretty hard to interpret and, 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 you know, really cut down and get get an understanding of what, what and who they're willing to lend to. But I just thought it creates a very interesting discussion because a lot of people have come out and said and especially nationals and you know they're representing farmers and you know that type of stuff they come out and condemn the position saying a and z you know totally totally unreasonable um you know and saying you know you can't you can't make these levels of call and then the opposite end of the argument is well you know a and z's a private company um they can actually pick and choose who they want to deal with. Um, they're not bound to deal with everyone. Mm-hmm. And if they've made a decision, um, you know, that they, they can sort of implement that company-wide. But one of the things that really ground my gears on this one, Steve, is I can't see any evidence where they've consulted the shareholders on this decision. So it appears, and I'm saying it appears because I don't know for 100%, that the decision has just been made by the executive and the CEO, mm-hmm. um, and they've passed that through and just said, "Hey, here's here's our stance, and here's what we're going to do." You know, in line with our company views. Now, you know, as a shareholder, um, I would expect to be consulted on that decision before it's made because it's a pretty big decision, and it and I believe it has the potential to affect your earnings, mm-hmm. um, at least in the short term. Um, but, you know, it highlights what I think in a corporate Australia is a bit of a disconnect between, mm-hmm. you know, executives and shareholders and decisions that are being made and, you know, are they being made for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? And I'm not saying that this is the right or wrong reason. Mm-hmm. I'm just merely highlighting that, you know, the consultation with shareholders doesn't appear to have occurred mm-hmm. and it's an executive-driven decision and and possibly, you know, external pressure-driven decision as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, just to be a devil's advocate for yeah, a second, far away, um, which I like to put be, me on the, spot. Put you on the spot. No, as a shareholder, don't you have the ability to um, cast a vote and and vote for the board? You do. Um, yep, yeah. and therefore um, you entrust the board to make the decisions, um, and they live and die by their sword. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. That, and that's a really valid point, and and you know, building on that, I I, I totally agree with it. Mm. But it, wouldn't it potentially be more appropriate to address these as potential resolutions at at you know an annual general meeting yeah. and 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 signifying a clear change in stance because oh. I, I would be you know I'm going out on a limb on saying this I'm not sure that all the shareholders would be aware of the executive stance yeah. think, but your point would yeah. be well if they're not aware they haven't read the AGM and and they're entitled yeah. to and, make a call and my point would also be that. And you, you mentioned this in the previous episode that you know the market will do what the market needs to do. You know, mm. so if ANZ shareholders don't like that, then they can actually move. Yeah. They can they can actually sell their shares yeah. and and move and invest in in another bank. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I guess that boards are, are reasonably aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't they don't make decisions lightly. But I do agree that they tend to make decisions based on um, popular. Um, um, what's, yeah. <laughs> it's not even popular vote. Pop- because yeah, yeah. Popular. So whatever they think is going to 
um, sound good and, and look good. Yeah. And, um, and banks are yeah. typical mm. of that. I mean, you know, it's no secret they, they do want to make sure they are looking good in the public mm. eye, and yeah. I think this is an example of it. And as I said, I'm not criticising the actual premise of the decision. Mm. I'm just saying that there seems to be a pretty common theme amongst Australian companies, listed companies, where decisions are made at the executive level that shareholders actually come back and will say after the fact, hey, we, did, we, actually, well, we actually don't agree with that. Another example I came across recently was um, you know, a lovely uh, lady uh, came to me and said that she was very dissatisfied with her super industry superannuation fund yep. because it had, it had um, taken the stance that it would um, do certain things around... Um, uh, non-investment in the in a cert, the coal industry, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, my the client uh, had a long history of employment in the coal industry mm-hmm. and believes that the coal industry is generally cleaning things act up. Yep. And that um, as a member of the super fund, that she had no say at all in uh, in that specific industry being mm-hmm. sort of cut out of her investment. So, so she voted with her feet and moved. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the other, another interesting thing that's occurred very recently is that a member of a um, industry super fund, a member of REST Super, actually sued REST mm-hmm. um, for failing to protect his savings against climate change risk. Mm-hmm. Now, it didn't, didn't go to court. It settled out of court. So it hasn't set a, set a precedent. Yeah. But um, it sort of does, doesn't it? Yeah, because it, indirectly. Uh, if, if a company or businesses feel that they're at risk of being sued and put under the spotlight for not considering environmental and ESG risks, yep. then they're probably going to be inclined to be too cautious. Yep. Uh, not sorry, not too cautious, but be cautious around yep. that issue. Yep. Um, but it's an interesting world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is an yeah. interesting world, and and it sort of loops around on on you know um, particularly my view around. Um, you know, socially ethical funds and that type of investment um, industry that's booming massively mm. at the moment mm. because people are voting with their feet and going to them. Yeah. But beware the boom. But yeah, anyway, but yeah, exactly yeah. right. And mm. sometimes following the herd is mm. going to get you in trouble. But you know, this is this highlights a point that a lot of companies on their own stead are just making these decisions to to become more so you know yeah. in, integrate you know yeah. so social yeah, your, governance your point is that it will happen naturally it happen know, naturally and, yeah, yeah. yeah and you know, the, gov- the the businesses won't survive if they're not actually um, thinking about these things and, yeah. and acting in in the best interests of the, the world and the environment yeah. and the and, and community yeah totally mm-hmm. great but yeah my, my point was you know an example of of you know potential non-consultation with shareholders mm-hmm. around a very very big decision yep Got it off your chest? I did. Good I'm work. happy. <laughs> we might close there. Um, thanks again, Luke, yep, for, uh, for joining me for our Money Men podcast. Um, remember, everyone, we have uh, a website that you can go to mm-hmm. to uh, communicate with us and ask questions. And yep. we also have a Facebook page, um, obviously, called The Money Men. Um, make sure you like us or share or whatever you do, subscribe, yeah. whatever yeah. those things are. Yep, those. Um, yeah, and get the word out for us and uh, add to the many thousands of listeners that we've already had. <laughs> had, yeah, yeah, good point, actually. Beautiful. Um, all right, see you guys. See you in a fortnight. Bye. Bye.